If you will, open up in your copy of God's Word to Psalm chapter 143. And as you do that, I'm going to ask you to stand to your feet as we read from the Word of God. Psalm chapter 143. Psalm 143, church, this is the word of God. Hear my prayer, O Lord, give ear to my pleas for mercy. In your faithfulness, answer me in your righteousness. Enter not into judgment with your servant, for no one living is righteous before you. For the enemy has pursued my soul. He has crushed my life to the ground. He has made me sit in darkness like those long dead. Therefore, my spirit faints within me. My heart Within me is appalled. I remember the days of old. I meditate on all that you have done. I ponder the work of your hands. I stretch out my hands to you. My soul thirsts for you like a parched land. Answer me quickly, O Lord. My spirit fails. Hide not your face from me, lest I be like those who go down to the pit. Let me hear in the morning of your steadfast love, for in you I trust Make me know the way I should go, for to you I lift up my soul. Deliver me from my enemies, O Lord. I have fled to you for refuge. Teach me to do your will, for you are my God. Let your good spirit lead me on level ground. For your name's sake, O Lord, preserve my life. In your righteousness, bring my soul out of trouble. And in your steadfast love, you will cut off my enemies and you will destroy all the adversaries of my soul, for I am your servant. Church, this is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. The title of our message today is Leading Spirit. Leading Spirit. Over the past several weeks, we've been studying various psalms and learning about the different doctrines or teachings of the Christian faith. And I keep reminding us of these. We, we, uh, we've learned about the doctrine. You should probably be able to say them by now. We've learned about the doctrine of revelation, the doctrine of God, the doctrine of humanity, the doctrine of sin, the doctrine of Christ. Last week we looked at the doctrine of salvation. Today we're going to be looking at Psalm 143 to shape our understanding of the doctrine of the Holy Spirit. The doctrine of the Holy Spirit. I pray that each of you have believed in Jesus Christ and, and as we talked about last week, are living lives celebrating salvation. That salvation that you've received. Unfortunately, though, some people have a misunderstanding when it comes to believing in Jesus for salvation. They think that believing in Jesus is a way of escaping the problems of this life. They think that being saved means that we somehow get a, a pass on, on, uh, on suffering. Kind of like when you play Monopoly and you, 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 get, you get that pass that you can just keep on going, right? Um, and, uh, and they think there's just kind of this, this free pass to escape from the despair of life. But friends, that couldn't be further from the truth. Even as believers in Christ who have been given the hope of everlasting life, we still live in broken bodies, surrounded by broken people in a broken world. Our lives are full of moments of despair. I'm not trying to be all gloom and doom this morning, but I am trying to speak about the reality of life. Certainly there are moments of of happiness, but there are also many moments in our lives that are full of despair. Some of those moments last for days, some last for weeks, 
Some last for months. Some of the moments in our lives may even last for years, those moments of despair. The truth is that Jesus never promised His followers a problem-free life. But, hear this, Jesus did promise to send someone to help us navigate these moments of despair. When Jesus met with His disciples in the upper room on the evening before His crucifixion, He promised to send them a helper after He was gone. They didn't quite understand what was going on. That Jesus was getting ready to go to the cross and die. And then, even though He would rise from the dead, about 40 days later, He would leave. He would ascend back to the Father. But Jesus, on that night before His crucifixion, He said things like this. He said, and I will ask the Father and He will give you another helper to be with you forever. Even the Spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees Him nor knows Him, you know Him, for He dwells with you and will be in you. And then later that evening He said, These things I have spoken to you while I am still with you, but the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in My name, He will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. And then later that evening He said, But when the Helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father, He will bear witness about Me. And then later that evening, he said this, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage, notice that, that I go away. For if I do not go away, the Helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send Him to you. Clearly, Jesus promised His disciples, His servants, a Helper. And this Helper is none other than the third person of the Trinity, the triune God. God the Holy Spirit. There's much we could say about the Spirit of God because there's so much that the Bible teaches us about the Spirit of God. But today, as we study Psalm chapter 143, we're going to focus on one aspect of the Holy Spirit's role in our lives as Christians. And that's this. The Holy Spirit leads us. Those who are followers of Jesus have the Holy Spirit in them leading them. Specifically in this psalm, we're going to very specific in the context of this psalm, We learn that He leads us victoriously through moments of despair. And therefore, we as Christians must depend upon the Spirit as we face those moments in our life. Church, here's our main truth for today. Servants of God must depend upon the Spirit of God to lead them victoriously through moments of despair. Servants of God. We see David call himself a servant of God in this passage. Servants of God must depend upon the Spirit. Must depend upon the Spirit. The Spirit of God to lead them victoriously through moments of despair. These moments of despair in our lives, you know this, come in all different shapes and sizes. Maybe it's a breakup with a boyfriend or a girlfriend. Maybe it's bad news from a doctor. Maybe it's losing a job. Maybe it's watching a child walk down a path of rebellion. Maybe it's falling prey to Satan's tempting snares and finding yourself caught in sin. Maybe it's the despair that comes with the death of a loved one. Maybe it's deep moments of depression. Maybe it's... I'll let you fill in the blank. Here in this passage, we see David walking through one of these moments of despair. Notice that he says in verse 3, For the enemy has pursued my soul. He has crushed my life to the ground. He has made me sit in darkness like those long dead. Therefore, my heart within me is appalled. These are strong words, and some of you know exactly how David feels. You have wiped tears from your eyes and wondered 
how you can keep going. But David was not alone. And friends, neither are you. Neither are we who belong to Jesus. Notice the end of verse 10. Notice the end of verse 10. Let your good spirit lead me on level ground. That's a game changer. David doesn't just have some good advice or motivational speech from God. David has God Himself helping him. And so do we. I believe this psalm will provide us with help for staying on track when life seems to be derailing us. But more than just a list of tips to help us, this passage points us. And we're going to look at some of those tips, if you want to call them that. I think, I think they're more of God's Word. Uh, maybe we can think of a better word than tips. But even more than the points that I'm going to give you today, more than that, what's underneath that, this passage is pointing us to the Helper Himself who can provide divine help in our moments of despair. I want to share with you this morning six ways in which we can and should follow the leading of the Holy Spirit as we face the trials of life. In moments of despair, we want to let the Spirit lead us. And that's how all of these these six things are going to start out. In moments of despair, we want to let the Spirit lead you to, and number one is this, humbly ask God for help. Humbly ask God. God for help. There's a lot going on in these first four verses that we need to pay attention to. If you look at these first four verses, we see that David needs help. David admits his need for help. David cries out to God for help. David admits that he doesn't deserve God's help. David is honest about how deep his need is. And David is honest about how unable he is to help himself. I want you to really just notice... Real quickly, we can't rush past this, is what I, those verses I read a moment ago, um, the, the verse 3 and 4, I just want you to know that if you've ever felt like that, that you're not the only person who has ever felt like that. If you've ever felt that your soul is being crushed under the weight of despair, you are not alone. Others have suffered. David, this one, you know David is described in God's Word as a man after God's own heart. And here he is describing himself as being crushed and sitting in darkness like those long dead. You're not the only one who has faced this. Others have faced this and they've cried out to God for help and they have found him worthy of their cry for help. But I also think we want to notice that we must humbly cry to God for help. It's not just enough to know that God is there to help us. We need to take a step of faith and cry out to God to help us. But we've got to be humble enough to recognize and admit our need for God's help. You must not think that you can pull yourself up on your own. You must not think that you can keep serving God faithfully in the midst of your despair without divine help. And then once you're ready to humbly admit your need need for God's help, then you've got to take this other step of humility. You've got to admit that you don't deserve God's help. You first got to realize that God is there willing to help. Then you've got to be humble enough to ask Him for help. But as you ask Him for help, you've got to be humble enough to realize that you don't deserve for Him to help you. It's incredible what David says here. Notice that David's plea for help comes as a plea for mercy. That means, that means I need you to treat me in a way that I don't deserve to be treated. Verse 1, hear my prayer, O Lord, give ear to my pleas for mercy. Then in verse 2, we understand why David is asking for mercy. He says, enter not into judgment with your servant, for no one living is righteous before you. Listen to this, so important. This is so countercultural. 
The world will tell you that when moments of despair, when you're feeling down and out, that what you need to do is you need to believe in yourself and tell yourself how awesome you are and say things and do things that will build up your self-esteem. Even recently, I, I listened to one pastor tell a congregation of thousands of people that what they needed to do was wake up in the morning and look in the mirror and say things like, you are awesome, you are beautiful, you can do it. But that's the opposite of what we see David doing here in his moment of despair. He's not standing in front of the mirror saying, you're awesome, you're looking good today, David. You can, you can tackle anything that comes your way. No. Instead, we see David bowing before the righteous God and saying, I'm a sinner along with everyone else in the world. And the last thing I deserve is God for you to help me. But God, you are also faithful. You are faithful to your promises. You are faithful in your love. And so I admit that I don't deserve your help, but I'm asking for you to give me the help that I don't deserve. Perhaps we would find God's help more available if we began our cries for help with cries of confession. Confessing that we are sinners. We are not worthy of God to help us. But don't worry. If you find humility difficult, I do, we have the Spirit in us who will lead us into humility, who will help us humbly ask God for help. Number two, in moments of despair, let the Spirit lead you to remember all that God has done in the past. Remember all that God has done in the past. After His initial cry for help in verses 1 and 2, and His description of His present condition in verses 3 and 4, David then looks back to the past. He turns around and he gazes back. Verse 5 says, I remember the days of old. I meditate on all that you have done. I ponder the works of your hands. Notice those verbs there. Remember, meditate, ponder, or consider, or think deeply upon. Notice what it is he is remembering and reflecting upon. The days of old, all that you have done, the work of your hands. One of the best things you can do in moments of despair is remember all the mighty works that God has already done. Not only in your own life, but throughout all of history. This is important. Because in moments of despair, Satan wants you to think that God doesn't love you. That God doesn't care for you. And that God has always been absent in your life. You know how he twists what God has said and what God has done. He did that in the garden with Adam and Eve. Did God really say? Has God really ever been there for you in the past? Really? Has He really ever been there and yet you're going to trust in Him? And so we must remember the truth that He has been there. One commentator speaks of the discipline of remembering. The discipline of remembering God's work. In other words, you know, like, we often talk about spiritual disciplines like praying and reading our Bibles and going to church. So the things that we discipline ourselves to do, we get in those good habits of doing those things. Well, what about that discipline of remembering? Disciplining ourselves to remember all that God has done. David was disciplined in remembering God's past works. If you think about it, many psalms, some that he wrote, some that others wrote, are devoted to remembering. I would encourage you to go and read those. Let me give you a few of them if you want to jot them down. We're going to have time to read them this morning, but it might be a good way to discipline yourself to remember God's works. Psalm chapter 18. 
Psalm chapter 68. Psalm chapter 104. Psalm chapter 136. Those are all psalms where the whole psalm is devoted to remembering and reflecting upon God's past work. Now, we want to make sure we understand what this remembering is not and then what it is. This isn't this looking back and longing for the good old days. This isn't complaining about how things are now because they're not how they used to be. Oh man, I just wish it was like it was used to be. I remember that back then when God used to love me and used to care. That's not what this remembering is. This remembering is a conscious effort to let the Spirit lead your mind to think deeply about how mighty and faithful and loving God is now as evidenced by His work in the past. Not just works in your own life, but notice David says all that God has done. Not just all that God has done in my life. He says, I need to remember all that God has done. Maybe it's God's work of creation or His work of providing garments to cover Adam and Eve's shame. Maybe it's God's work of keeping His promise to Abraham to give him a son through whom He would send the Messiah. Maybe it's God's work of delivering His people out of Egypt and patiently caring for them through the wilderness years and graciously bringing them into the promised land. Maybe it's God's work of revealing details of the coming Messiah to His prophets and then His work of sending a Messiah who matched every single detail. Born of a virgin in the city of David, called out of Egypt, humble in appearance, silent in his suffering, pierced in his death, and victorious in his resurrection. God had already given all those details hundreds of years before they came to pass. It's the work of God. Maybe it's God's past work in your own life. Sending someone to share the gospel with you. Softening your heart to hear and respond in repentance and faith. Lifting the burden of your sin. Helping you grow in Christ's likeness. Carrying you through trials you have already experienced. Oh, how quickly we allow our present circumstances to drown out all that God has already done for us in the past. Church, when you are tempted to doubt God's goodness, fight the temptation by remembering God's goodness. This looking back is not meant to be an escape from the present. Not trying to deny the reality of the present suffering. But it is intended to be a help in facing the present difficulties. It's a call to gaze back and see proof of God's ability to deliver you so that you will move forward in dependence upon Him. And in case you're finding it difficult to remember, God has given us a great tool. I've already mentioned this. A great tool to jog our memory of what He's done. It's His Word. So open it up. Read it. Remember the days of old. Meditate on all God has done and ponder the work of His hands. The Spirit will help you to remember. Number three, in moments of despair, let the Spirit lead you to long for God more than anything else. The Spirit leads you to long for God more than anything else. This is so important and it's so easy for us to neglect when it comes to asking God for help. Notice what verse 6 says. David says, I stretch out my hands to you. My soul thirsts for you like a parched land. Now, if we just read verses 1 through 4, and then I ask, what does David want? We probably answer, well, he wants God to mercifully help him get out of whatever crushing situation he is. He wants help, relief, deliverance. That's what he wants more than anything. 
And yet, verse 6 doesn't say, I stretch out my hands to your help. My soul thirsts for your help like a parched land. No, it says, I stretch out my hands to you. My soul thirsts for you like a parched land. Say, so what, what's the difference here? Well, I think this verse helps us steer clear of two temptations whenever we face despair. You see, the first temptation, whenever we walk through moments of despair, is to push away from God. Again, maybe because we are forgetting all that God has done in the past, we're doubting His goodness and His love, and so in moments of despair, we're tempted to push away from the Lord and maybe go to other people or other things instead of God for help. Verse 6 reveals that David doesn't merely want the help God can give him, he wants God who can give him help. Verse 6 teaches us that instead of pushing away from God, he, he, he is seeking to draw near to God. I remember a time in my life where there was, there was a, a moment of despair. It was more of a spiritual crisis. It wasn't a death of someone or, or, or a breakup or, or a loss of a job or something like that. It was a spiritual crisis of, of wrestling with, even is God even real? Is His Word even real? Do I, is He worthy of my life? I mean, is, is, this, is this stuff fake or is it truth? And I, and I say this not to, not to build myself up because it was only by God's grace. It's only because the Spirit of God was in me and the Spirit was doing what I would not have done on my own. In the moment of even doubting whether God existed, I ran to Him instead of away from Him. I said, God, I don't even know if you're real, but I'm going to spend time in Your Word. And that was just the Holy Spirit continuing to draw my heart to the Lord when I was beginning to push away. And so temptation one is to push away from God rather than to reach out for God. But another temptation is to draw near to God only to get relief from our circumstances. You see, David, like I said, doesn't merely want the help God can give him. He wants the God who can help him. And there's a difference there. David is longing for relationship with God, deeper relationship with God, even in the midst of his despair. Let me put it like this. When you dial 911, you don't really care about getting to know the person who answers the phone on the other end, right? You, you, don't, call, you don't call for help wanting, wanting to get to know the person on the other end of the line. That person is merely a step in the process of getting the help you need. And that's okay when it comes to dialing 911. That's what that person is there for. Unfortunately, we often treat God like a 911 operator. We call, yell what we need, and as soon as help arrives, we hang up. Got what we wanted from God? I'm good, God. I don't really need you anymore right now. I'm out of the situation. Instead, our desire ought to be a deeper relationship with God as we cry out to God for help. As we walk through the despair, as He provides the help that we need, our desire ought to be to know Him deeper, to know Him more, to grow in our love of Him. We want God even more than we want the help. As David wrote in Psalm chapter 63, verses 1-4, through O God, You are my God. Earnestly I seek You. My soul thirsts for You. My flesh faints for You. As in a dry and weary land where there is no water, so I have looked upon You in the sanctuary, beholding Your power and glory, because Your steadfast love is better than life. My lips will praise You. So I will bless You as long as I live. In Your name I will lift up my hands. You see, when this is our attitude, 
to want God even more than escape from the despair, then even when we don't get the type of relief that we want, when our deepest longing is God Himself, we will be satisfied. Because we will have all of Him that we ever long for. And it's the Spirit of God in us who helps us to long for God more than anything else. Number four. Number four. In moments of despair, church, let the Spirit lead you to trust in God's unchanging character. To trust in God's unchanging character. All interspersed throughout this psalm, David is declaring who God is. We already saw that David rooted his initial plea for mercy in the character of God. Verse 1 says, in your faithfulness, there's character of God, in your faithfulness, answer me, in your righteousness. Another part of God's character. God is both faithful and He is righteous. Now in verses 7 and 8, we see David spend some time focusing again on God's character. He says, answer me quickly, O Lord. My spirit fails. Hide not your face from me, lest I be like those who go down to the pit. Let me hear in the morning of your steadfast love, for in you I trust. Just like in verse 1, David roots his cry for help in the unchanging character of God. David can ask God to answer him and to be present with him. Which is the positive way of saying, hide not your face from me. That's him saying, be near me. Be present with me in my life. He can ask this, and he can have confidence in asking this, because God is unchanging in his character, specifically in this verse, steadfast in love. God's love for those who belong to him, hear me, is like his other qualities. It is unchanging. God doesn't love you today and not love you tomorrow and love you the next day and not love you the following day. and You don't ever know whether He loves you. He always loves you. Regardless of the circumstances around you, in moments of despair, the enemy wants us to doubt God's love and His faithfulness and His mercy. But remember, the enemy is called the father of lies. Friends, in moments where life seems to be changing in the blink of an eye, and those changes seem to be for the worse, Oh, how good it is to know that God's character never, ever, ever, ever changes. It would do no good to remember God's past actions if God's character was wishy-washy. Then we wouldn't know whether He was going to act today like He's acted in the past. You say, well, yeah, God was a God who delivered back in the past, but I don't know if He is today. God was a God who loved back in the past, but I don't know if He still loves today. No, His His character is unchanging. And since God is the same yesterday, today, and forever, then we can know that the God who provided for His children in the past is the same God today who will provide for His children in the present. And He's the same God that will provide for His children on into the future. Notice here, we finally get our first glimmer of hope. Like so far, it's been pleading for mercy. I'm, my soul is crushed. I'm remembering what you've done in the past, but I'm really just remembering what you've done in the past. Right now, in the present, it's rough. It's rough, but we get a glimmer of hope here. A hope in the midst of despair. He speaks here in these verses of hearing of the steadfast love of the Lord when? In the morning. In the morning. Don't run past this. Don't run past this. The morning presents a contrast to the night that David is living in right now. 
Remember what he said in verse 3? He described himself as sitting in darkness like those long dead. Sitting in darkness like those long dead. And yet, in the midst of the darkness, he is able to speak of the morning. Though he currently feels the night, he speaks of the morning. He is able to see the light, though he currently feels darkness. And it's not because he sees a change in his circumstances. He is praying for a change, but he doesn't see that yet. It hasn't happened yet. And so he's not seeing this light. He's not seeing this coming morning because he sees a change in his circumstances, but because he sees the unchanging character of God. How do you trust in God when it seems that God is not there? How do you trust God when it, the night seems unending and the darkness seems so heavy? It's by focusing, church, on the unchanging character of God. Do you need some help focusing on God's character? Well, one of the easiest and most helpful things you can do is pick up your Bible. I've done this before already today. Our application is pretty, pretty straightforward. You pick up your Bible, you pick up your Bible, and you read. And as you read God's revelation of Himself, the Holy Spirit will illuminate God's Word to you, shape your mind, and penetrate your heart with the unchanging character of God. Friend, the darkness of the night of despair will not last forever for those who belong to God. There is a morning that follows the night because of God's unchanging character. He is faithful. He is righteous. He is steadfast in love. And the Spirit will help you trust in God's unchanging character. Number five, in moments of despair, let the Spirit lead you to understand and obey God's will. This is one that we probably wouldn't think about if we were making a list of what do I need to do in order to make it through this moment of despair. We might say some of these other things that we've already said. I need to cry out to God for help. I need to remember that God is good. Right? I need to, I need to remember that. I need to, I need to do these other things. But one of the things that's not often on our mind when we're in the midst of despair, in the pit of despair, is serving the Lord. Is serving the Lord. Understanding and obeying God's will. If we're honest during moments of despair, we're sometimes quick to call out to God for help and being delivered from the difficult circumstance, but we rarely call out to God for help and being obedient to Him in the midst of the difficult circumstance. But here we see David doing both. He desires to serve God faithfully even as he calls out to the faithful God for deliverance. In other words, David is not putting obedience to God on the back burner while he's waiting on God to deliver him from his present despair. Notice how the cry for deliverance and his trust that God will be his refuge are surrounded by cries for God to help him understand and obey God's will. Look at verse 8, the second part through verse 10. Make me know the way I should go, for to you I lift up my soul. Deliver me from my enemies, O Lord. I have fled to you for refuge. Teach me to do your will. For you are my God. Let your good spirit lead me on level ground. This is incredible. David doesn't want God to only be his refuge to protect him. Verse 9. He also wants God to be his teacher to instruct him. Verse 8. And his master to rule over him. First part of verse 10. And his leader to lead him. The second part of verse 10. 
Now, how often are we tempted? Be honest. Be, be honest with yourself. How often are we tempted to use our difficult situation as an excuse to take a break from serving God? How often are we tempted to ask God to obey our will in ending our difficult situation instead of asking God to help us obey His will in the midst of the difficult situation? And as we see by David's final statement in the psalm, go and look down to the bottom of the psalm, very end. David sees himself primarily as a servant of God. And as a servant of God, his desire is to know God's way to know God's will, and to follow the leading of God's Spirit along whatever path will bring God honor and glory. See, here's what we often do. Let's be real. Here's what we often do. We make our act of obedience to God conditional upon God's act of deliverance towards us. We make our obedience towards God conditional on God's act of deliverance towards us. What do I mean by that? Well, we try to strike a deal with God in moments of despair. We say things like, God, if you will deliver me from this, then I will do this or this or this or this. And and we strike deals with God. We've probably all done that before. I've done that before. If you deliver me from this, then I will obey you. But that's not what we see David doing here. He is asking God to deliver him. But he's not making obedience conditional upon whether or not God delivers him from his present situation. He's saying, God, I'm asking for help getting out of this, but at the same time, I want to keep doing your will. I want to keep obeying you. I want to keep serving you, and I need you to help me. David doesn't make his act of obedience conditional upon God's act of deliverance. Instead, he prays for help to obey God in the midst of his despair. Again, David is not concerned merely with getting out of this difficult situation, but with serving God faithfully as he walks through this difficult situation. But David knows he can't do it on his own. He knows he he, he needs the Lord's help. He not only needs God to show him the right path, to give him understanding, but he also needs God to help him walk down that right path. And so he asks for the leadership of the Holy Spirit. David knows the only way he can obey God in his moment of despair is if he has some divine help. Some help from above. And the same is true for us. Just looking at those couple of verses there, it's it's led me to, to think this. That, that perhaps one of the remedies for despair is obedience. It's to not stop serving God when we're in moments of despair, but to keep serving Him faithfully. And we have no excuse not to submit to God's will during moments of despair because we have God's Spirit leading us along the path of righteousness, helping us to live in obedience to the will of God no matter circumstances around you say it's too hard what i'm going through to then add on top of that obeying god you are telling god that he can't do that you're telling god that his holy spirit can't do what he's already said his holy spirit will do in your life don't say that don't diminish the power of god in your life the holy spirit will help us to keep living in obedience it's number six i told you six things Six, in moments of despair, church, let the Spirit lead you to rest in God's promise of deliverance. In moments of despair, let the Spirit lead you to rest 
in God's promise of deliverance. Truly, this is something only can God can do. Because this is the opposite of despair. Rest and despair don't seem to go together. Anxiety and despair go together. Worry and despair go together. Troublesome thoughts and despair go together. Not rest. But we're not talking about things merely from a human perspective. We're talking about the divine help of God. Once again, in verse 11, David repeats his cry for deliverance. But notice that his motivation here is not merely an escape, but that the name of the Lord will be honored. Notice verse 11. For your name's sake, O Lord, preserve my life. In your righteousness, bring my soul out of trouble. And so he mentions again the righteousness of God. And in verse 12, the steadfast love of God. It says, for your name's sake, O Lord, preserve my life. In other words, David wants God to deliver him in order to draw attention to God. In order to draw attention to God's righteousness and love and faithfulness. Then I want you to notice the last verse. Verse 12. Notice the confidence in David's voice. Remember, David, David is in the midst of the despair as he is saying this as he's writing this. He says, and in your steadfast love, you will, will cut off my enemies. You will destroy all the adversaries of my soul, for I am your servant. What is happening in verse 12? Victory. Victory. That's what's happening. The enemy is being destroyed. Victory is what is happening. David doesn't know when the victory will come. David doesn't know what the victory will look like. But he has complete confidence that victory will come, not because of who he is, but because of who he belongs to. He is a servant of the Lord. And the Lord is both righteous and steadfast in love. And as David follows the leading of God's Spirit, he will be led to victory. But we have to ask this question. How? How? I don't mean the the specific details of David's situation and how he's delivered from that specific despair. I mean, how in the world can a God who we have been told two times at the beginning and the end of this psalm, how can a God who is righteous, righteous, how can he deliver a sinner? And we've been told that David is a sinner. David's already admitted that. You see, God is righteous, and that righteousness means that He should judge, not deliver, people who are not righteous. And David, in verse 2, admitted that he and you and me, we all are not righteous. No one living is righteous before you, David said. And this is why he began his cry for deliverance with a cry for mercy. He doesn't deserve anything of what he is asking God for. Because God is righteous and He is not. And yet he's also declared that God is faithful and God is steadfast in love. But what in the world is going on here? David is wrestling here, I believe, with a collision of God's character. God's character over here and His righteousness seems to be colliding with His character of steadfast love and faithfulness. How can a righteous God show love to sinners? And yet in the midst of his wrestling with this collision of God's character, David was able somehow to rest in God's promise of deliverance. And here's why. Because David was at the same time resting in God's promise to one day send a Messiah. One day send someone who would deliver not just David, but the world. And friends, we rest not in that promise looking forward to it being fulfilled, but today 
we rest in that promise that has been fulfilled because God has sent that Messiah. God has sent His Son to do what? To deliver us. You see, the collision of God's character was on full display as that God-man who was laid in a manger in Bethlehem as a baby was nailed to a cross outside the gates of of Jerusalem as a man. There on the cross, God's righteousness, which leads to wrath against sin, and His steadfast love met in tragic beauty as Emmanuel, God with us, endured the righteous wrath of God in our place. You see, here's the thing. As we read this psalm, do you know what we see? We see a picture of Jesus. Not just of David. Because here's the truth that you must hang on to today. Jesus allowed His soul to be pursued by the enemy. And Jesus allowed His life to be crushed to the ground. And Jesus allowed His body to sit in darkness like those long dead. Jesus allowed His Spirit, as the psalmist said, to faint within Him. He, Jesus, stretched out His hands on the cross so that you and I could stretch out our hands to God for deliverance. Truly, as the writer of Hebrews said, we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet was without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. But friends, of course, Jesus didn't remain sitting in darkness like those long dead. He didn't remain in the darkness of that tomb. He rose up from the grave, proving His power to conquer the greatest enemy. Church, there's a morning that follows the night because there was a resurrection that followed the crucifixion. And all who are servants of the Lord, all who belong to Jesus, share in that eternal victory. In moments of despair, you don't have to succumb to the feelings of worry and anxiety. When your soul feels crushed, you can be completely at rest because of God's promise to deliver. And because His promise of deliverance was already been, has already been accomplished in Christ, who died on the cross and rose up from the grave. Friend, through Christ you can rest assured that all your moments of despair end in an eternity of victory. All of our moments of despair, regardless of what that deliverance looks like in this life, all of our moments of despair will one day end in an eternity of victory. And that same power, that same power that raised Jesus Christ from the dead is living in every person today who has repented of sin and trusted in Christ alone for salvation. Jesus died, He rose up from the grave, and He left the earth, but He sent His Spirit, the divine Helper, to us so that God would still be with us even as we wait on Emmanuel, Jesus, to come back to get us. There's one final question we have to ask. And that's this. How then do we get that Spirit in us? How do we get that Spirit in us? Because you see, it's not just automatic. We're not born with God's Spirit in us. 
How do I have this Spirit? It's no magic formula. It's very simple, very profound at the same time. How do you have the Spirit of God in you? You have Christ. You have Christ. Scripture is very clear. Listen. Everyone who has Jesus has the Spirit. You don't have Jesus and then jump through some hoops later on to get the Spirit. If you have Christ, you have the Spirit. If you don't have Christ, you don't have the Spirit. Make sure you know that that's not just me saying that. That's God. I'm going to read one more passage of Scripture. Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8, verses 9 and 11 says this. You, however, speaking to Christians, are not in the flesh but in the Spirit. Which means you can do all that this passage in Psalms is calling you to do. Because you're not in the flesh, you're in the Spirit. If, in fact, the Spirit of God dwells in you, anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to Him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the Spirit is life because of righteousness. If the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, He who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through His Spirit who dwells in you. Friend, you can't do the things in this passage in Psalm chapter 143 in your own flesh, but you can through the Spirit of God. And so do you have God's Spirit in you today? Have you repented of your sin and trusted in Jesus Christ? That's how you receive the Spirit. And if you have never trusted in Jesus Christ alone today, you must. You must. You must. I plead with you to trust in Him. If you have trusted in Jesus Christ, listen, I don't know if right now you're walking through a moment of despair or maybe that moment of despair is waiting on you tomorrow. But I want you to walk out of here knowing, Christian, that you have the Spirit of God in you. And you can walk faithfully to the Lord through whatever comes your way in life. Not because of you, Not because of your strength. Not because of your power. But because God Himself dwells within you. And so when you find yourself in moments of despair, you can put into practice these things that we've seen in Psalm chapter 143. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, Your word is clear. Your word is true. We've heard your word. And now, Father, we want to respond. God, there may be someone here who needs to confess their sin and repent of their sin and trust in Jesus for salvation. And they can do that right now, God. You are ready to receive them. Father, there may be a Christian here today who needs to confess sin to you. And, and, and hold on to those promises that they have believed once in the past. And you have made new and fresh to them today. And they need to hand their moment of despair over to you. Try, stop trying to do it, get through it on their own. 
And they need to call out to you for help. And they need to realize that they can't do it by themselves. They need to depend upon the Holy Spirit. But even in that despair, Lord, you can put a put this rest in their soul. Because, God, the victory has already been won in Christ. God, maybe, maybe we know of someone who's walking through a moment of despair. And so, God, we want to use this time to pray for that person and lift them up. Heavenly Father, however you want to work in our hearts, we pray that you would be doing that. God, if we need to spend the next, next ten minutes on our knees crying out to you, God, I pray that we would do that. God, if we need to spend the next ten minutes standing and lifting our voices as loud as we can because we're so thankful that you, you are with us in moments of despair, God, I pray that we would do that. God, however we need to respond, Father, I just pray that we would be obedient as your Spirit leads us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.